0: We're looking today at the story of a young man who learned a lot about giving up. He didn't learn it well, he uh, found it very difficult, Um, but who learned what what it cost, what it meant, even though he didn't take that path. It's the story of the rich young ruler, you can read it in in Luke's Gospel, you can read about it in Matthew's Gospel, we're going to read it this morning in, in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10, so you can follow it through with me. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments: you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And so it's, it's an amazing story where this man runs to Jesus and falls on his knees in, in a desperation. What must I do? And I just want to pause for a minute and say, ask you this question. If you were walking down Margaret Street or Ruffin Street here in Toowoomba or wherever you're close to you live and someone ran up to you and fell on their knees and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life, what would you tell them? It's a, it's a challenge. Because we kind of hope it doesn't happen, don't we? If we're a little fearful. But what if it did happen? What would you tell them? It's important to know enough of ourselves and our relationship with Jesus to be able to make that answer, Um, if that was the case. This is kind of an iceberg passage. And by that I mean, you know, an iceberg has about a tenth of its Mass, or what you can see above the water, and about nine tenths underneath the water, and so you can read this passage from just a, an overview of what it looks like. A man runs up, and he tells Jesus a story, and asks a question, and and tells him how good he is, and then Jesus says, "Well, you got to do this," and he goes away very sad. Because he doesn't want to do it, but there's something far deeper underneath the surface of this scripture that you've got to understand if we're going to understand what it means to give up, what it means to surrender. This is a passage on the surface that people ask that question a lot. Does that mean I have to give up everything and sell everything and give to the poor to be a follower of Jesus? And, and, and so we need to grasp that. And One of the things we need to know, this is first thing is this is a surface. This is a, there's a lot going on here below the surface. There's a lot that Jesus is expressing and Jesus is saying and doing with this young man that's below the surface. The second thing you need to know is, is, is what we know and what we don't know. There's a lot about this, a lot about this guy we know and there's a lot about what we don't know. We know he's respectable and we know that he's respectful. He runs up and he drops on his knees and he asks Jesus a question. We know he's wealthy. We know he has means. We know he's young. We don't know how young he is. Um, it's relative. Young is relative, isn't it? But he's probably we don't know, we probably figure he's in his 20s or 30s but he could be a bit older, we don't know, he's, Mark who's writing the gospel is probably a bit older than that so he's young compared to Mark and he's a ruler, he has authority he has influence he has power somewhere but there's things we don't know we don't know his name no idea what his name is we don't know how he got rich did he inherit something from a rich old ruler did he win Powerball? Was he in the Bitcoin revolution? You know, Did he work hard when he had a job when he was a kid and he worked hard and squirreled away savings all that time and just happened to make his own money? We don't know. We don't know how old exactly he is. We don't know what he rules over. We don't know his sphere of influence. We don't know where he's set up. And obviously because of that, those things are not just the major part of the story. If we were meant to know all of that detail, we'd know. We know he's a rich, young ruler. And he's respectful. We know that. The third thing we know, and it's probably the toughest thing to know, is he walked away sad. He walked away sad. You don't read in the Gospels anywhere else where anybody else walks away sad from Jesus. I wonder if you can imagine it. You met Jesus one day and you walked away sad. What would that be like? I mean, we read many people who encounter Jesus and encounter the things Jesus does and says, nobody walks away sad except this young fella. Nobody. A woman gets healed. She's had a disease for 12 years which just causes constant bleeding and she somehow sneaks through the crowd which she should never have been in and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's made well. She's made well. And she walks away astonished. There's a young guy who can't walk at all. He's paralysed and he's got four mates who can't get him to where he should be in front of Jesus so they take the tiles off someone's roof just think of that happening in your place. They take the tiles of someone's roof and lay him down in front of Jesus. Jesus forgives him sin, his sins, heals him completely and it says that he walks out under his, under his arm with the bed that he, walked, that he was let down in. He met Jesus and walked away astounded and amazed. If you are on the hill that day when he fed 5,000 men and a whole bunch of women and children as well with five loaves and, and two fish two loaves and five fish with a very little amount of food. If you saw that happening and those fish and loaves just being multiplied before your eyes and you got something to eat that day, you would walk away amazed. There were Pharisees who, scribes and Sadducees who met with Jesus and were hell-bent on trying to trick him every question they asked him and he just came back with a question or an answer that confounded them and they walked away meeting Jesus they walked away angry so angry in fact that they wanted to kill him the disciples heard him say you know a number of times three times at least I must go up to Jerusalem and be crucified and on the third day raise again and They shook their heads and they walked away confused, but nobody walked away sad like this young man. Nobody. To walk away sad from Jesus is an extraordinary thing. An extraordinary thing. See, on the surface, this is a simple story. Guy can't can't do what Jesus asked him to do. Imagine doing that and... He says, Jesus says, well, you know, the commands. By the way, the question, he asked the wrong question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the wrong question. Nothing you can do. It's all done. I wonder if uh, you asked that question son. I, I know people have said to me, to, I read this, you know, the the surface story of the rich young ruler and say, does that mean I have to give up everything and, and sell all my goods and possessions and, and give to the poor? Is that how I'm going to be a good follower of Jesus? Well, I'm not doubting God says it to some people. But that misses the whole underneath the iceberg part of this story. It misses what's there. It's much surf, much bigger than that. There's a huge change coming, you see. Jesus lives in this juxtaposition. He lives in this in-between of two covenants, an old covenant which has been in place for centuries and a new covenant which he ushers in and which comes in at his death. So he is in this difficult position where he is living in the times of an old covenant but he's ushering in a new one and it doesn't come into being until he dies because that's what you have to do with a covenant. Covenant happens that way. He, this covenant was made with the nation of Israel where relationship with God was marked by ritual and ceremony and certain sacrifices of animals you brought, certain feasts you had to go to. So it was, it was um, marked by what you had to do. What must I do because I've done all these things for all of my life? And that's the relationship with Jesus or with God that has happened in that. To ushering in a new covenant, which is all about grace. It's all about surrender. It's all about giving up. It's not about what you can do, wrong question. It's about what you give up, what you surrender, your life, your very being. And Jesus lives in this juxtaposition where he, he's, it's, the, it's the coming Preparing for what's to come, but it's not quite there yet. It doesn't come till he dies. And the moment he dies, a new covenant happens. It's the moment he dies. You see, when, when a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter and we, we celebrated on the Friday, Good Friday. Well, Good Friday is Great Friday. Because when Jesus shouted, it is finished, it wasn't just that what was enough to do to forgive you if your sins has happened. But in fact, a new covenant came into place. A new covenant happened. Let me read to you what the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. A covenant comes into being, an inheritance comes into being when someone dies. Then, in Hebrews 8, he says, by calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and indeed and outdated will soon disappear. You see, as I said, we celebrated Easter. And something happened at that point of time. Something at that point of time became obsolete. And obsolete simply means fulfilled and replaced. And it's replaced by something new. And Jesus was all the time preparing people for this new covenant, even though he still lived. It was still the time of the old covenant. Until he shouted out, it is finished. And the earthquake happened. And the temple curtain was torn in two. A four-inch thick curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And it's new. There's a new relationship now. And so when Jesus speaks to this young man, he's been around for a while and he's wanting to get, understand if this young man understands what's coming, how it's going to change. But he's so rusted on, he's so locked in, he's so tied to this old covenant of ritual and ceremony and religious obligation that he doesn't see anything else but that. And when Jesus asks him to surrender something, he goes away sad. See, this is much more underneath the iceberg than is there. You see, one of the things we have to understand is we live in a new covenant times. We don't live in mixed covenant times. It's obsolete. We live in new covenant times. We live now with Jesus. And one of the great changes that happened with the coming of Christ And the new covenant at his death was the relationship we now have with his spirit. You see, in the old covenant, the spirit of God came on people for a purpose. In the new covenant, the spirit of God dwells in you for your life. It's it's a change. Old covenant, we, we read that people are anointed by the spirit for a task. The key word in the new covenant is not anointed by the Spirit. It's indwelt by the Spirit. Let me read to you what, what we read in the Scriptures. The book of Acts says this, when Peter preaches the first sermon and people realize what they've done and they're cut to the quick. We read this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? answer question. Peter replied repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So you receive something. John's Gospel says this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, it's indwelt now. The Spirit of God lives in Anyone here today who is a follower of Jesus and has come to surrender to Jesus... The Spirit of God lives in you. John says again, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Read Crucified. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God now lives within us as rivers of living water. The trajectory of the Spirit now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, is not outside on, it's inside out. There are rivers of living water in you waiting to get out. That changes everything. That changes everything for you. It changes, for example, your... It changes our worship. You know, sometimes I've been going to a lot of churches and sometimes you get the impression that um, the Spirit of God is out there somewhere has to be coaxed down. We have to coax down, we we sing louder, or we sing better, or whatever. No. Spirit of God, we come to worship, Spirit of God's within us. We should be giving our it all. It comes from within. Our voice reflects the Spirit who is in us. It's not something that you come to... It's not something you come and find, worship. It's something you come to do. It changes everything. It does change our giving. I know the surface, the surface of this um, scripture is about, you know, rich young ruler and what God asked him to do. But it, it does change our giving. In the Old Covenant, giving was a religious obligation. There there were laws of tithe. There were actually three tithes that you gave in the Old Covenant, but they were for certain purposes. But the motivation was law, and the action was the tithe come to the New Covenant. The motivation is love. The motivation is surrender. And it's all God's. It's all God's. You can tithe out of simply religious obligation, or you can give your all. It's all His. I just got to work at how much I need. Very different way to think. Very different way to think, for us. You know, I. You and I have met people. We know them who are religiously compliant. They. The motivation in New Covenant is generosity. The motivation in the Old Covenant is law. But now we have a spirit of generosity. You and I have met people, haven't we? We've met people who, who would tell you they tithe religiously but they wouldn't buy you a coffee or they wouldn't buy you a feed or a bus ticket somewhere. But they're generous because they give a tenth. No, no, no. It's about life. My life has to be generous. That's only a beginning. It's only a start. See, it changes everything. Here. Scripture says this: And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, you who raise, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Because of him, we are alive. We're not just religiously compliant, we're alive because his spirit lives in us. Because he dwells, it, because we're indwelt by his spirit, it makes all the difference. That's why Paul says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not about about taking him in bits and pieces. It's about making sure the whole of us is filled. Every part of us, keep on being filled. Allow him who dwells within you to own every part of you so that you can surrender every part of you. That's why those scriptures say the old covenant is characterized by how well you keep the law. The new covenant is characterised by how well you live by the Spirit who is within you. That's important. It's it's crucial that we get that. It's crucial that we understand that. It's crucial that we know that. Because the temptation always to mix the two. You know, we we live by the Ten Commandments and the grace of Jesus. Jesus. We we ask the question, what does the law require of us? And the question is, what does love require of me? That's the important part of who we are and what we say and why we do what we do. This rich young ruler's story, Jesus said to him, Sell all you have and give it to the poor, because he knew that was the point. He knew that was the point where surrender was the toughest. And he knows you and me, what's the point where surrender is the toughest. It may or may not be that, but it may be. The issue is not that particular point. The issue is bigger than the rich young rule. The issue is one of control. We love to control. Every, you know people who are control freaks. You might be sitting with one. Don't nudge them now because I can see you. But, but uh, we, we know people who are control freaks, but all of us love control. How do you feel when you're driving the car and you have to sneeze that 's a toughie right? because at that particular moment of time for that nanosecond you lose control, your eyes even close. you can do nothing about it, and you hate it. I hate it you 've got to double sneeze it 's worse <laughs> imagine the broadcast tomorrow on the been a prang on the <laughs> praying on the uh, Toowoomba bypass in the left lane because of a double sneeze. <laughs> you lose control. We, we love to have control. Even when we say we follow Jesus, we still love to have control. I remember a guy at college when I was lecturing there for a while, a guy said to me at one point of time, he just said to me, Tim, what are you trusting God for that only God can do? And what he was saying is, what are you trusting God for that if God doesn't come through in a week, you go to plan B and you work it out? You see, we love control. And this story is about giving up. It's not just about selling all you got and give to the poor. That's just part of the story. What's below the iceberg is that you give up. That's below the iceberg. It's important. What must I do is the wrong question because that's the question the guy's been doing. What must I do? What, what, what animal need I bring to sacrifice? What do I need to bring to the feast? What laws do I need to keep? And Jesus is really saying to him, what do you need to lose control of? Because the spirit of God is going to come within you if you follow me. What What do you need to lose? What do you need to give up on? What do you need to do? And you see, what's interesting in this passage is that it follows two other passages where it talks to people who've got no control in the society in which Jesus lives. He talks, for example, to the issue of Divorce, where a woman has no control because in that society a man can just sign a certificate and it's all over you are just dependent and then he talks about little children he says let the little children come into me for such is the kingdom of heaven so just before he gets to the rich young ruler he's talked about two groups of people in society who have no control and he gives them influence and authority goes back to the creational point of marriage And says with children, the kingdom's like this little children. And now someone comes with all the control and all the authority and all the rulership. And Jesus knows it's about being dependent. See, it's not a surprise where this fits in in the context of that chapter. This is this is this is important. This is crucial. This is. After that comes a rich young ruler who's used. To living his life the way he wants to live his life. Just being religiously compliant. And little children are so dependent and so need to surrender because they have to. That's the way they are. Never grasp the reality and the freedom of the new covenant. And goes on to say: if you don't do that, it's like driving the, trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. That's the bit that follows. So you see this passage between that and that. And getting a camel through the eye of a needle, how difficult is that? Not difficult, it's impossible. You can't follow Jesus with just religious compliance. It's impossible. You've got to follow him with a heart that's surrendered and a spirit that dwells within you and has rivers of living water flowing out of you and you be the person God's called you to be. That's how you follow Jesus. With everything. With everything. With everything there is. You see, the story of the rich young ruler is not just a simple story. It challenges us at the very core of our being. It challenges me. It challenges you. It's like that picture of the the, uh, iceberg I put at the beginning. It's like that picture where there's so much underneath in my life that needs to be surrendered. It's not just one little thing, little corner. It's my life. I've got to give up and surrender everything. That's what matters. He talks about money and f- possessions here, but it's much more than that. Do we, do we come on Sundays? Do we worship on Sundays because it's religiously compliant or because there are rivers of living water wanted to get out of us with other people? We get to do that together. What a great thing to do. Do we... Worship God because we have to or because we love to? We love to. There's something in me that needs released, the Spirit of God. Do we give out of religious compliance or do we give because a heart surrenders everything? I didn't grow up in the church and my dad used to say... Um, Just be careful of churches. They just want your money. Well, let me tell you something now. Shopping centres want your money. Um, Banks want your money. The Lotteries Commission wants your money. The church wants what Jesus wants, which is your heart. What's your heart? Churches don't have money problems. They have heart problems. The kingdom doesn't have money problems. They have heart problems. it's about surrender, it's about giving, it's about generosity, it's about all of me, it's about what's beneath the surface, not just what's on top. That's how we know if we give it up and surrender in God's direction. The temptation is always to compartmentalise our lives. That part of me specifically Christian, that part of me is work, that part of me is church, that part of me is home. That's the temptation we have, to compartmentalise our lives. And this is a story that what's beneath the surface is the spirit of God dwells within you and he causes you to be surrendered and he causes you to give up your life. All of it to him. All of it to him. That's his prayer. I want us to close with prayer this morning and I'm not going to ask you to do anything except sit there and think like I am today. It challenges me this. It's easy for me to compartmentalise my life. <laughs> easy. just want us to think about giving up and surrendering in God's direction. What that really means. That the Spirit of God dwells within me. He lives within me. I am indwelt by the permanent presence of Jesus in my life. The task now is to surrender. To surrender to what that permanent presence of Jesus is all about. I'm going to ask you to just sit silent for just maybe 30 seconds and just pause and ponder about what that means for you and for me. Let's just do that now. Father God, we want to thank you and praise you that this story of the rich young ruler is much more than what we see on the surface. It's much more than a a young man who comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and asks, what must I do? Lord, it's about what's beneath the surface. It's about a new covenant place to live, to live now with the spirit of God like rivers of living water within us. Not striving, not fighting, but just there and wanting to express Jesus through us in so many ways in fact in all of our life and father we we confess this morning how we love to control we just love to to run our own life we don't mind doing some things out of compliance and religious observance But when push comes to shove, God, we still love to run our own life. We would pray that this morning you would help us surrender in your direction. We pray that, Lord, with our finances, with our worship, with our relationships, with our energy, with our time, God, we pray that we'd be people who just say, thank you for invading my life and giving me your spirit, the spirit of Jesus who wants to reflect and wants to reflect you in this world. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.